leadership is all about becoming uncomfortable. If you're comfortable in your role as a leader, you're probably not going to reach your potential as a leader because you have to be willing to get uncomfortable. You have to be willing to risk an idea that might be laughed at. You might be, and you have to be willing to risk and to propose the the concept of an idea that's going to fail, that's going to cause maybe a little bit of ridicule or, 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 or make people question, does this guy or girl know what they're even doing? A leader of one can become a leader of many, but if you can't lead one, you'll never lead any. Good morning and welcome everybody to The Kitchen Table. In this podcast, we sit down with our guests to have real and honest conversations around all things leadership. We call it the kitchen table because we know some of the best conversations at the firehouse take place at the kitchen table. And the goal with the podcast today is to focus that kitchen table energy into talking leadership. I'm your host, Berlin Mazza. Good morning, Bill. How are you this morning? Good morning. How are you? Doing good. Yeah. You watched the game last night? I did. What a game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, you know, if I was a betting man, um, I had <laughs> money on UConn that, you know. Oh, okay. So I got six and a half. So I hit that and then yeah. the over too, oh. um, which I was, again, I was a little nervous. You know, we need 131 points and yeah. they squeaked yeah. out the end, but well, yeah. At that I mean, halftime score, geez. Yeah. You no, know, they so, were, they, yeah. they put their foot on it. Hey, yeah. master's week. It is. It is. Scheffler, you guy. Well, I'll watch a little bit of it, but uh, I do, I do like, and I, I, I dare not get there because it's not my hot topic in my podcast, but live golf. <laughs> Brooks Kepka's coming in hot, right? But we'll get into that another time. So, yeah, Master's Week, exciting week. Yep. So today on the kitchen table, we go across the country to Hudson County, New Jersey. Frank Viscuso served the town of Kearney, New Jersey for 27 years before retiring at the rank of Deputy Chief. He is the author of eight books, including Amazon bestsellers Step Up and Lead and Step Up Your Teamwork. Chief Viscuso is a highly sought-after, internationally recognized speaker who has the ability to move people to action. Over the past decade, he's traveled throughout the United States, Canada, and Europe, and has spoken to hundreds of audiences on many topics that include leadership, team building, customer service. His clients include emergency service workers, sales teams, U.S. Armed Forces, the healthcare industry, small businesses, and large corporations, including Exxon, Mobile, Surpro, and Jersey Mike's. Frank has provided keynotes at West Point Military Academy and various military bases and universities. And he was the keynote speaker for FDIC International in 2022. His seminars and speeches are designed to introduce people to the top traits associated with leadership and to equip them with the skills they will need to lead, inspire, and motivate their teams. Every organization's culture is either created by design or default. Creating a culture of exceptional service does not happen by accident. Chief Viscuso connects with his audiences through his passionate and often humorous delivery. His high energy and highly motivational seminars are designed to equip people with the necessary skills they will need to excel in their chosen field. His proven theories, methods, and techniques will help your organization provide exceptional customer service and make a great impression on the people they connect with on a daily basis. Deputy Chief Escuso, we're excited and humbled to have you on the kitchen table today. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. If I knew you were going to do an intro, I just recently came back from a talk and and uh, we had about 300 firefighters in a room and they said, do you have a bio? 
that you want us to read? I said, no, but I'm going to write down exactly what I want you to say. So I wrote down, all right, you're here to hear some guy from Jersey who wrote some book about something, talk about something and <laughs> leave it at that. Because the last thing I want is this, is uh, a bio to make it sound like uh, I'm something I'm not. But thank you for all of that. Of course, Chief. And uh, I mean, most of us do know either you yourself, uh, a lot of people I know have read your books, attended your seminars. And actually, we're going to talk about one of those uh, here in, in just a minute. But yeah, I say it because uh, obviously you are a very recognized individuals, uh, individual, and we are excited to have you. So thank you so much. Um, thank you. So I've said this many times, this podcast, again, is only as effective as the leaders willing to share their message. And uh, Chief Castros, who you know, uh, has been on the show. He elaborates on the term he coined, the leadership pandemic in the American Fire Service. And so the purpose of this podcast that Chief Mack and I started uh, a year or so ago is to offer another means to bridge that gap in that leadership pandemic and by offering another way to connect with people. So thank you again for being here. And before we do get started, would you mind sharing a little bit about Frank Viscuso, career, family, hobbies? Anything before yeah. we get started? I appreciate that. Before I even get into that, let me speak a little bit about Chief Castros because you mentioned him. Um, this is what's beautiful about the fire service is uh, you'll meet the greatest people in the world in this industry. Uh, here is a guy who I had met at FDIC. I took his class. Uh, I connected with him. I said, you know, man, I like this guy. I like what he's about. He's uh, a person of strong faith. He's a person that believes in helping other people. Uh, he he puts out tremendous material that has helped so many people. And uh, here I am probably 10 years after I met him, and I would say he is a true brother, not the brother. I mean, I'm talking, I'm not, you know, people throw around this word brotherhood like they, like they throw, you know, uh, you know, game balls at a little league game. You know, every kid gets a ball, you know. Uh, but this is a true World Series home run game ball type of brother for me. He's a guy that uh, that I love dearly. So I just I can't, anytime I hear his name, I just got to tell people uh, that that's one genuine uh, dude out there. So I'm glad you had him on the show. Thank you. Re regarding myself, um, you know, born and raised in, in in Kearney, New Jersey. Father was a firefighter. Brother was a firefighter. Um, we had both kind of rose to the rank of deputy chief. And uh, ironically, um, you know, I kind of followed my brother uh, through his career. You know, I was always one step behind him getting promoted, but we would study together. Um, he would take classes and say, hey, you want to go take this class with me? I wasn't even thinking about taking a class, but since you're going, yeah, I'll go. And I found my passion really by following a great example. And uh, and that was my brother. And, and so uh, I got lucky with with having him as a role model because when, when we're looking for mentors we're looking for role models mm -hmm. sometimes you don't have that in your own household and i did growing up with my father and my brother mm -hmm. uh i'm the father of uh of three boys um thomas frankie nicholas my two youngest are are heavily involved in baseball i coach their baseball teams uh down here in toms river new jersey where i live uh married to laura my wife who um uh i tell you what it's just a tremendous mother and and wife and somebody who holds this household together and i'm retired from the fire service now but what i do is uh you know i've been writing books for many years i have 10 published books and you know a couple more in the works right now
but I travel throughout the country and, and just provide training on leadership and team development in and out of the fire service. And that's really what, what I'm extremely passionate about doing. So I'm glad to be here to talk about it now. Of course. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we're well, talking about your books and uh, I'll get to that in just a second. You did come up to Kent Washington back in November. And ironically, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was a class that I tried to sign up for. And in fact, uh, Chief Webb, um, I, I emailed him and I said, hey, I can't, I can't make this day. Can I go to another day? Is it, do I have to go for two? And he says, you could show up for half a day or whatever. But ironically, we were actually in the room next door and we were actually shooting a, a podcast. Uh, and then we can hear you. And in, in that podcast, it was actually episode three. He actually mentioned we were talking about leadership. And the individual says, Well, actually, just right next door, you've got a, you know, an amazing man, uh, you know, Chief Escuso. And I was like, Oh, yeah, oh my gosh. So, anyways, um, I hope you come back to the Pacific Northwest sometime. Um, and I, I, I dare not miss, you know, one of your seminars up here. But, uh, but, anyways, you talked about books. So I've read three of them, right? So, Step Up and Lead, Step Up Your Teamwork. And I actually just finished The Mentor, uh, whatever, two or three weeks ago um, or so. I will say what I do enjoy most about your books is you make it easy for the reader. You have the, you know, those subheadings, you know, you spend a minute or two talking about X and then you move on to the next. And it's just, it makes it so tangible for a reader and it's not just a, you know, a super long. So anyways, that resonates with me not to say it resonates with everybody else, but for starters, what got you into uh, wanting to author books? You know, it's actually a very interesting thing. I didn't read a lot of books when I was younger, certainly in high. I like to say it this way. I graduated in a class in high school that made the top half possible. You know, uh. <laughs> I wasn't, it wasn't um, a, a guy who read a lot of books, but it was, and I don't even, I hesitate to bring this up because I don't want people to think I'm using this for something, but this is the truth. It was uh, when 9-11 happened, I could see the towers from in front of my firehouse. Mm -hmm. I'm in New Jersey. I'm across the river, but I could see the my whole life growing up there. You know, in my backyard, I could see the Twin Towers. And, um, you know, we had uh, about I can't remember, 32 or 36 of us had went over there uh, on the days that followed to see if there's anything we could do to help out. And what happened to me. You know, I like to say that there's life-altering moments that happen in your life. Like for parents, uh, when your first child was born, it's a life-altering moment. And for me, being over there was kind of, in a completely different way, a life-altering moment. And here's why. I had spent a lot of my life uh, being a guy that was an overthinker. I still am. I'm an overthinker. And when you're an overthinker, you'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and you'll be stressed out. You'll deal with anxiety. You'll deal, you know, you'll have actually, you'll fear, you'll have fearful. You'll you'll be fearful about, and you don't even know why, but what am I, what's, what's happening in my head. And a lot of what had occurred with me when I was younger is I didn't have a tremendous amount of belief in myself. And so if I wanted to accomplish something, sometimes other people's opinions were stronger than my own belief in myself. Matter of fact, not sometimes, almost all the time when I was growing up. And so I was kind of crippled by this uh, limiting belief that I had any worth. When 9-11 happened, after seeing how quick life can change and alter and be taken away, uh, a lot of that started to shift in me. And I started to say, why am I living this way? And I made the decision, I'm going to go after to try to create the life I want now. I want to be a deputy chief one day. And for some reason, I I don't know why I said, I want to write a book. I don't know why, because I never once even thought about it before that. But I, 
uh, bought a tape recorder. The idea was this. I'm going to write a book and tell true stories about New Jersey firefighters. I bought a tape recorder. I went out. I interviewed the first firefighter. I said, this story is amazing. I went to talk to him about a specific incident, but he had just come back from a, a fatality where a young boy, a teenage boy, had been killed. And when he walked in and he told me about the incident, he, he says, I just need a minute before I talk to you. He walked in the other room. He was gone for a good half hour. He came back and then he said, I guess when stuff like this happens, that's what makes what happened back in, uh, and he mentioned a year, uh, uh, so much more valuable and important. And I said, well, what happened? And he told me a story that was significantly more important than the one I went there to talk to him about. And I said, that's powerful. I said, that's the story I need to tell. Now, I will fast forward and tell you every time I sat down to meet with somebody, those types of things were happening. I was hearing something bigger and more impressed. I was hearing about about self-doubt that they had. I was hearing about when they failed to make a rescue, and that's why they pushed so hard and ended up making the rescue that I went to interview them about. So it wasn't about the rescue. It was about what happened three years earlier when they failed mm -hmm. and, and why they pushed so much harder at this time. And when one guy literally thought, I'm going to die today, and they're going to watch me die from the helicopter as I'm stuck on this balcony shielding this woman from flames, but I don't want her to die alone. And and the the story that led up to that happening was more impressive than that story itself. Yeah. So the problem was this. After interviewing the first firefighter specifically, when I opened up my computer, and here I am typing with two fingers using my thumb for the space bar <laughs> i realized i don't i man i could see this happening but i don't know how to write it i could tell somebody but i didn't read enough books which is why i want my children reading way more than i ever did because i realized how much that handicapped me but because i was having a shift in the way that i was thinking about things i actually went to barnes and noble and bought a book on how to write a book Interesting. So, yeah. So I was reading a book on how to write a book while I was writing my first book. And then when wow. it was done, I had to figure out how to get it published. Nobody was self-publishing back then. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I bought another book on how to get your book published. Wow. Yeah. And it told me I needed an agent. So how do you get an agent? I don't know. I went and bought a third book called The Literary Marketplace. Gave me a list of agents and I had to mail a sample chapter to them with a return envelope so I can get the response back. This is before the internet was as developed as it is. So I, I printed a sample chapter 50 different times, mailed it to 50 different agents and received 50 rejection letters back. Jeez. So I thought, well, maybe this isn't going to happen, but I came this far. I, I figured, if I, right. If I can't get an agent, what does an agent do? And I ended up, uh, I had a firehouse magazine in front of me. And I reached out. First, I did go to Penwell, which is now mm -hmm. Clarion Books, Fire Engineering Books and Videos. Uh, I went to them first, and they said they wanted the book, and then they ended up turning it down. Now, that's my publisher today, <laughs> and wow. I remind them all the time, you turn me down, because every now and then they'll ask me, what do you think about this person? We're thinking about publishing this book. Uh, do you think they have credibility in the fire service? And I, I'm like, don't ask. Listen, I didn't have credibility in the fire service wow. when you guys published my first book, but you even turned down the one before that. So, um, you know, uh, and I don't help them make any of those decisions, but every now and then they do ask me about a specific person. But but um, I ended up reaching out to a guy named Harvey Eisner. He was the editor-in-chief of, of Firehouse Magazine. 
after a lengthy conversation, he gives me the number of a guy and asks me to give him a call. Says he publishes books. Tell him Harvey gave you the, the number. So I call the guy up and I say, uh, you don't know me. My name's Frank Fiskew. So I wrote a book about New Jersey firefighters, but Harvey Eisner gave me your number. And he said, you'd be very interested in wanting to publish my book. I made up the last sentence. Why not? Right? <laughs> I love it. I love it. But but the short end of this story is that ended up being the guy that published my first book. Wow. And uh, and it was uh, it was that was how my journey has been ever since. What? My journey has been this. Yeah. Know where you want to go and just keep moving in that direction. Don't let anything stop you. That's it. You want a secret to success? That's it. Right wow. there. I, I I think we can um we can close the episode because I think you've just said it all. Um yeah. I mean our 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 audience today is is those that are, you know, I'm not gonna say hesitant, but maybe hesitant to to take a step in their in the next step in their career, hesitant to take a formal leadership role, maybe hesitant to promote, maybe newly promoted. But I think you just said it right there. It's uh here's an individual who uh, who's highly successful and you had just told us that you went out and did something that you never thought you could do you you never you didn't read but and I'll, I'll be a little uh vulnerable here as well i wrote this down and my wife makes fun of me for it is i didn't read my first book beginning to end i think it was 2011 in my, my first book so you're sitting there t- telling yeah. me you know saying you didn't you didn't read but i didn't read any books growing up either i mean i read a ton of yeah. books now but it's funny you say that, uh, you know, an individual who we would have thought, you know, was born to be an author, born to be a leader, but you're telling us you bought a book Far on how to do this. Yeah. Listen, when I wrote my first, I, I, I am actually excited to tell you when I wrote my first book, I didn't know the difference between an adjective and an adverb. I'm excited to tell you that because so many people think they need to have it all figured out. You don't have to have it all figured out. You need to, again, you need to know where you want to go. That's half the battle of success in life is firmly committing to what, you know, this is what I want to accomplish. This, this is the end goal right here. And you'll learn this. Everybody learns this. You might've already learned it. The journey is so much better than the destination. When you get to the destination, sometimes it's like, wait, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I thought how cool would it be like knowing my story that I just told you right now, how cool would it be one day if I, if I became an Amazon bestselling author, how cool would that be? Right. Mm-hmm. So I thought I had this uh, on my goal, on my dream board, right. My vision board, uh, Amazon bestselling author. And I had it written there for years. It's going to happen one day. It's going to happen one day. Here's the funny part about it. It's been on my board for about eight years. I had been an Amazon bestselling author the entire time and I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. Amazing. Wow. I didn't know. And I didn't know until somebody sent me a, a, a thing for, see, I didn't know there's different. I, I'm thinking Amazon, like a top 10 book on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that there's several different categories that the books are in. And in the firefighting category, my books, uh, I mean, I probably have five on the list right now out of the top 100. And they've been there the whole time and step up and lead in particular. Mm-hmm had been number one for years. Yeah. And if it was, and if it's not like every day, number yeah. one, it, it, I mean, literally you can check every hour and it will be different, Yeah, but it's been on the best selling list now for 10 years. Wow. And, and uh, when I released flashpoint, not only was it number one, it was a top 50 book overall in leadership in all Amazon books, top 50. Wow. And I'm thinking, yeah, like, 
like I'm there and it mm-hmm. doesn't change anything is my point. The yeah. point is it doesn't change anything. It's what you become on the process of getting there. Along the way so, is where you grow. So, so, so I want to touch on that because I, I, I love that point. You know, um, I often talk about, you know, a career is like the road to Hana. I mean, using something, you know, um, from from Maui, the road to Hana is like 52 miles long. There's like 60 bridges and 600 turns. And people will always tell you, you know, it's not about the town of Hana. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey to get there. Um, and so I love that whole thing that I think that the fire service career is a lot like that. I mean, most careers are like that, right? That yeah. the, that the success that you see in your head at the end, you know, oftentimes when you get there and a lot of great leaders, you know, like yourself, they get there and they push it further out, right? So they actually never get to the point of being 100% happy. I mean, look, you went from being a guy who didn't know an adverb from an adjective to to writing a book, to publishing a book, to getting an agent. And now you're telling us, you know, you want to get on the bestsellers list and you continue to move that goal of success. So I, I, I love that. And I like the fact that one of the things I think in the fire service is a lot of our leaders haven't taken the time to kind of memorialize the fire service and leadership. And so you're leaving behind, you know, these great tools and I've read several of them. Um, I'm excited to read flashpoint here, but you, you know, you're, you're leaving behind these tools that young leaders can grab and use. Um, and so I like that part too. So thank you. Yeah. But, but, and it's like what you were just talking about when you reach a destination, what do you do? You've heard the term raise the bar before Yeah, mm-hmm. raise the bar, yeah. you know, you have to look at it like, well, there's there's really not a finish line when we're talking about leadership, goal setting, achieving mm-hmm. things, team building. There's not a finish line. There's celebration points along the finish line. Hey, let's pull over. Let's enjoy this moment. But what's next? Mm-hmm. And that's not that doesn't have to be something that's stressful. It's actually a beautiful part of the whole journey. Mm-hmm. It's what's next. Like, you know, today b- before this call with you. I was on, on the call with a guy that I had done several projects with, and we just came up with an idea for our next project. And we're both super excited about it. And we're texting back and forth about it. What's next? And again, it's it's about just, uh, I think, wh- what do people want? I mean, it, to step away from leadership for a second, what do people want? I think one of the things most of us want is we want, we want to know that we mattered, right? Like here, I, like I, I existed. I existed. When we're gone, we're gone, man. But I existed. I lived. And when I lived, um, did I do anything? You know, because it's all going to end at some point. So what's what's your goal when you're here? And and I think that I spent a lot of time trying to figure this out, being an overthinker, being that guy that was always kind of stuck in my own brain of, you know, I used to say things like, I just want to be happy. Like, who's like, yeah, but what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be happy? And here's one thing that I found out about myself. And I think this is true with most people. What makes people happy is progress. Progress makes people happy. Think about this for a moment. I mean, really think about this. If you don't have a goal, you're stagnant. Mm-hmm. You're going to get in a rut. You're going to, you'll find yourself. Uh, like my friend likes to say, pigs don't know pigs stink. You're going to be rolling around in the mud like a pig. <laughs> 
living like a pig. And I don't mean that in a, you know, nasty way. I'm just saying as, as an example, if you're sitting with negative people complaining all the time, you become a negative people that complains all the time. Mm-hmm. If you sit with people that do unethical things and you spend five years around people that are unethical, you will become unethical and you won't even realize it, mm-hmm. but you're just doing the same kind of things that people around you are doing. Yeah, you, you become right. So you don't have any goals. You don't have any, but when you have goals, and you start taking steps towards them, even before you achieve them, you feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Relationship, right? Yeah. Yep. Relationship, personal, professional. Yeah. And progress makes people happy. Yeah. So yep. that's one of the key things I talk to people when they're building teams about. And this was just a question I had with somebody that reached out to me yesterday and said, um, you know, I'm trying to get this team motivated, but nobody is. And I said, well, what are your goals? Mm-hmm. If you if you don't if you haven't set any expectations, and you haven't had conversations with people that not just help you set expectations, but get focused on well, here's where we want to go, and let me get some input from you. How do you think? You know, what's the best action steps we can take to help us move towards the goal? Well, just that alone is going to get people more enthusiastic because hey, they're asking me for input. I'm part of the team. I exist. They acknowledge me. All right, this is good. Now we're moving towards something. And even if we take small steps, we're moving towards it, small steps. It's like a person that wants to lose weight. Mm-hmm. They're frustrated when they don't lose weight. They get pretty happy when they found out they just lost four pounds. Exactly. Yep. Even though their goal is to, to, to lose 34 pounds. Yep. You got to lose four before you get to 34. Exactly. And uh, I think you've uh, referenced this in your book, you know, with the Stephen Covey as well as, uh, you know, begin with the end in mind. Like you yeah. just said, it's know what you want to be, but it's about the steps along the way. And I love that analogy of you got to lose four before you lose 34, but you have to celebrate the fact that you lost four and yeah. don't get frustrated. So if you don't mind talk, because you had mentioned, I'm going back several minutes now because I love it. And we've talked about it on this podcast about being okay to fail, but not being scared to fail. Uh, so here's an individual who you said didn't read books. Then you looked at how to write a book. You looked at, you know, yeah, how to you publish a book. You've probably failed along the way. You, right? you probably, you know, didn't really realize, you know, what to do or how to do something, but you just stuck with it and here you are. So can you talk about failure and it is not just okay, but seek failure because you're going to fail and it's a part of the learning process. Yeah. Here, think about this. Uh, in school, we get punished for failures. You fail a test, you get a big F, and now it's like, hey, you're going to fail the class. And if you fail the class, you're going to stay back. And all these things happen where we're conditioned to to think failure is final. It's not. Failure, in life, you're going to struggle. You're going to fail constantly. And what you need to do is realize that's part of success. No one wins all the time. You're going to fail and embrace it. Because that's where you're going to learn. Because the only true failure, I believe, is you don't learn from it. You got to, I mean, I'm pointing, nobody can see us, but I'm actually pointing as I'm talking just over my shoulder because, yeah, I mentioned this earlier. I coach uh, baseball at Tom's River East Little League. Here's something interesting. Uh, I've coached all star teams, travel teams, and um, more than 30 teams since I've been down here. And some of the kids I've had the honor and privilege of coaching uh, in the last couple of years have, with their teams, made it to to 
uh, Little League World Series, ESPN, you know, and that's been a goal of their coaches. It's been a goal of the kids. It's been a goal of the program. There's 180,000 Little League teams in the world. Only 10 from America. Used to be eight until last year. Now the new number is 10. 10 teams from America will make it to the Little League World Series. And yet, Tom's River has sent several teams there and 15 years ago won it. Mm-hmm. So nationally, they're recognized as a powerhouse program in Little League Baseball. Well, there's a couple of things that I think are interesting about this. One of them is it's almost expected to either win the district or compete to a level where you know you have a, a great chance of getting back there. So our kids don't sit here and go, wow, there's 180,000 Little League teams. Are you kidding me? No, they sit here and go, hey, kids we played with were on ESPN two years in a row. This is our year. That's because they see it. I just shared a story on a, on a podcast unrelated to the fire service recently that um, Yogi Berra grew up across the street from Joe Graziola. Both of them end up becoming Major League Baseball players, both of them in the Hall of Fame. Joe Graziola, one of the best baseball players ever, said he didn't think he was that good because he wasn't even the best kid on his Little League team. Yogi Berra was. And think about that. And they both went on to become very small street, two professional athletes. And down the block, they have a guy that played professional football. So when this type of stuff happens, I'm walking yesterday – my son's playing a game. I walk past the game. Who's coaching third base on another team? Todd Frazier, more than 12 years, Major League Baseball player. You know, here he is, a Major League Baseball player is coaching third base for his son's baseball team. So our kids think, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Police officer, firefighter, professional baseball player? Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because anything is possible because they mm-hmm. see it around them. We have professional, you know, Frankie Edgar, UFC fighter, yeah. you know, walking around our neighborhood and our our, our ball fields all the time because his kids play uh, baseball. So so people see this. And, and when you see it around you, you start to think, hey, that's possible. Absolutely. that's po- It's not out of reach. Mm-hmm. Now, think about all, now how that relates to us in the fire service, by the way. Think about how you want to become an officer. Uh, when I was cleaning the deputy chief's office, sometimes the deputy chief's in the room, sometimes he's not. I'm a firefighter. I'm up there just cleaning. I got the mop. I'm up on the floor cleaning the toilet, doing the things that we do. Um, and there were times he wasn't in the room. And when he wasn't in the room, I would put the mop off to the side. I'd sit down at his desk for a couple minutes. I'd sit there. I'd look at the computer. And I'd say, you know what? I could see myself sitting here one day. One day I'm going to be a deputy chief. I'm going to be sitting in this seat. And then when it happened, what was interesting about when it actually happened, it didn't seem awkward for me at all because in my mind it happened years earlier, years earlier. But now it's actually just a reality. Absolutely. Well, we uh, and it's it goes to the saying, and I I, I feel bad. I, I won't know who to uh, give credit to on the quote. Is we've heard growing up all the time. You got to see it to believe it. But a psychologist, sports psychologist, you know, would say something along the lines of, you got to believe it before you see it. And I think that's kind of where you're going. It, you, like you mentioned earlier, you, you you could see things around you and it's possible. But internally, 
you have to believe that it's actually possible before you actually get yourself into that seat. So I think kind of what you're saying is it's got to be a little bit of both. And, and, and many times it's like, here I am. And it's, it's, Oh, here I am. It's not it's everything, not a, everything in life to your point, everything is created by, uh, by design or default, but it's created by design. It's created twice. And once is in your mind. And uh, I try to prove this point to my kids when uh, about three years ago, my son is now 12 years old when he was about, uh, I guess, I guess he was nine when this happened. He came home and he said, daddy, I wrote a book. And he knows his daddy writes books, right? He says, daddy, I wrote a book in school today. And I'm thinking, you wrote a book in one day, you're way better than me. <laughs> but I thought, oh yeah, what's your book about? He says, banana and avocado. And he shows me this little book that he wrote with stick figure drawings. And and a, a cute little book, cute little story. Um, I would like to say there were holes in the plot, but it was still cute for a nine-year-old. And But after reading it to me and then me reading it and, and saying, hey, this is really good. I like what you did here. He says to me, do you think it could be a real book one day? I said, yes, it can. Hmm. What happened was as every day that he would go to school, I was illustrating a different scene for the book. And so now just through Shutterfly, just a self-published little thing, I had uh, surprised him by publishing his story with my artwork. And one day it was, I don't remember if it was quite honestly, if it was, his, I think we were, we wanted to do it for his birthday, but we kind of broke down and did it earlier. We um, surprised him and gave him about 10 or 12 copies of his book as a gift he opened it up he couldn't believe it he's like banana and avocado this is real i mean that's he's reading his story with these illustrations and his picture on the back author nikki viscuso and wow. you know lives in tom's river new jersey with his mom dad brothers and dog you know everything that's cool and and but we gave him enough to give to his grandparents to give to his uh his cousins to give to his teachers but the whole point was I wanted him to understand, yes, it can be a real book one day. Mm. And you don't need anyone's permission that's, to make that happen. That's amazing. <laughs> that's, yeah. uh, that's, uh, wow. So good. That's, uh, that's so good. We just spent the last several minutes discussing, you know, what's possible. We talked about failures. We talked about believing that you can see it. Now I'm going to not necessarily go to the dark side, but I do want to add something here because it's something that resonated with me. So we just mentioned, you know, being self-motivated, getting things done. Now, this is a term that you talked about in an early chapter of one of your books, Step Up and Lead. And the subheading of the chapter was, no one trained me. And mm -hmm. so after just talking about people getting out there and just getting it done, there are individuals that sit back and will say, well, no one trained me. There's nothing here for me. So I must not need to know this or do this. So until it's provided for me, uh, here I am today. And you talk about the Peter principle. And so can you talk a little bit about that, right? It sounds like an excuse. And when I, when I read it, when I listen to it, the no one trained me concept and the Peter principle. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Peter principle right there is that people will rise to their level of incompetence. That's what it is, which ultimately means this, that, you don't really know where how you're going to be when you become a captain, as an example. Like, are you going to be a good captain or a bad captain? Well, you're not going to know until you actually become a captain, unless you do things a certain way. Like right now, we're watching. Uh, here we are. It's 
It's uh, April 4th, 2023. We're recording this. Uh, Yankees just announced a new starting shortstop, Anthony Volpe. Anthony Volpe is a kid that played uh, baseball for programs that are my sons are associated with right now. And uh, he's been a kid that they've talked about for a very long time. I hope he has a long, extremely successful career. Homegrown kid that set the goal to be the shortstop for the Yankees. And he actually is. And, I mean, you want to talk about one of the most premier positions in all of sports. Shortstop for the Yankees is one of the most high-profile positions ever. Highly stressful. He's already a fan favorite, and he just started. But here's a kid that, that you know, put it into work and said, hey, man, this is, this is where I want to end up. And focused and... I mean, I'm inspired by that because, uh, again, I, when I was that age, I didn't have that kind of confidence, didn't have that kind of skill level or anything. But, um, you know, part of, I think, the whole journey of of life is saying, I, I can get here, but I just need to, I need to believe it first before anybody else. The whole concept of the no one trained me thing is this. A kid like him wasn't looking for anybody to train him. A kid like someone like Kobe Bryant, man. Mm -hmm. Kobe Bryant talks about how, man, you can you can wake up at nine o'clock, mm -hmm. and you can go out and you can train from nine to eleven, and then you can train again from from two to four. But what you don't know is I'm training from four to five, mm -hmm. and then nine to eleven, then two to four, then eight to nine. Mm -hmm. So by the time you figure out that Kobe Bryant was a better basketball player than you, and you say, you know what, I'm going to work this summer, and I'm going to get as good as that kid. Too late. No, you're not catching them. Mm -hmm. You're too far behind. No one trained me is is a cop out. It's a cop out. Yeah, it's an excuse. Like no, here, here's something I'm trying to explain to my kids, and I'm trying to say it delicately because I believe in helping people. I believe in teamwork. I believe in in not just achieving success, but pulling somebody up with you. I believe that wholeheartedly, but most of the world doesn't. Mm -hmm. They say they do. They say they do. But there's a lot of selfishness out there. There's a lot of, I got mine. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to, I see it too much to, to, to act like it doesn't belong or it doesn't exist. It exists. So you have to go out and get what you want. Mm -hmm. No one's giving it to you. And if you want to sit and complain about what your department is not giving you, Shame on you for not going out and get it yourself because the books are there. Yeah. The seminars are there. The podcasts are there. It's never been easier in the history of the world to get information mm -hmm. ever. Also never been more difficult to get the truth in today's yeah. society. Yeah, true. So, so chief, I, I just want to ask you this question. Um, you know, of course, we see all those individuals who have that drive, that determination, and I've seen it, right? I mean, I'm in Bonnie Lake, Washington, and again, another big little league area of the, of yeah. the nation. Um, you know, the, the kids in, that I've coached, you know, you see them, they always, they always have a glove in their hand. They're always popping a ball in their hand. They're always hitting, you know, maybe rocks or pine cones in the backyard. But they're the kids that you look at and go, that kid is going to be a major league player. He's going to play the next yeah. level. He's going to be that person. They're very driven. And, and of course you're that type of a person and, and we all have them in the fire service a as a coach, as a leader, how do we light that fire? in some of those people who are, who are doing that waiting, 
it, you know, they're waiting to be given something or they're waiting for that. How do we spark that in them? Starts with conversations. Everything starts with conversations because, you know, I, I get this question a lot. Like I'm trying to motivate this particular individual, but I can't, you know, I can't, I can't, I just can't get them motivated and, or they're just not connected to, to a goal. And I'm like, well, are you trying to connect them to the goal? Are you sitting down and talking to them about what's important to them? Because here's the bottom line. Everybody, everybody's here for a reason. Why would people be a career or even a volunteer firefighter? Why would people be a vol- Why do people do anything? First of all, let's start here. Why do people do anything? There's six primary reasons why people work or volunteer. There's six primary reasons. Time, money, security, recognition, belong to a team or to make a difference. That's them. So you could say, well, listen, man, I'm taking, I'm working overtime because I want to, I want to go to that Yankee game as an example, because it's going to cost you a thousand bucks for four people to go. <laughs> I know this. I know this firsthand. Not the Mariners, but <laughs> yeah, maybe not the Mariners. <laughs> but if you want to see the Mariners play the Yankees in Yankee there you Stadium, go. it's going to cost you a thousand. There you go. There you go. So, um, so there's a million reasons why people work. But all of them fit into this category, these categories. So how do you work for time? Well, think about this career firefighter that wants to catch his daughter's recital. Can ask another firefighter, can you swap for me so I can get that day off? This? Yeah, so we can trade time for time. We know what it means to work for money and for security. So those are three primary reasons. Everybody's showing up. Every career firefighter is showing up at work because they have time, money, and security. They have those things. So they're going to keep showing up even if they don't like the job. What are the other three? Recognition, belong to a team, and to make a difference. Those three require conversations. Those, if you, people don't feel like they're making a difference or that they're being recognized for doing something good, unless somebody tells them, "Hey, I'm proud of you," and that's a good job. Hey, you're you know you're a valuable part of this team. If nobody ever tells you you're a valuable part of the team, you never know if you really are a valuable part of the team. You may think maybe I am, but if you have to doubt and question it, then nobody's making you feel like you are. Uh, recognition is a powerful thing. Grown men die for it, and babies cry for it. Mm-hmm. Recognition. So why don't we give that to each other and just say, "Listen, good job." So those three things. You want to get people connected to a goal. It requires those three things. Hey, let me talk to you about not just the fact that firefighters, we are problem solvers, not problem finders. The world is full of problem finders. We don't need more. We're here to solve problems. Let's clarify that first. But now let's just talk about you. I mean, if, if the three of us were working together and let's just say, uh, let's uh, hypothetically, let's just say, you know, I was the, the officer and one of you, both of you, let's say both of you were just frustrated. For, uh, we, we didn't settle a contract. Uh, they Another uniform policy is coming down. They don't care if you know your job. They care about what you're wearing and about all this stuff. And many of the stuff we complain about, our stuff we're really even concerned about. But we just get focused on it. Why? Because we have a lot of downtime. Downtime without direction equals drama. So let's talk about it. I'm going to have a conversations with you guys and say, man, you know, what made you want to be a firefighter in the first place? Let's get reconnected with that. And let's talk about the importance. You know, if, if one of you has a wife and two kids and, and we live uh, 45 minutes away from where you work around California, some of the places I go and teach, they live two hours away from where they work because it's so expensive to live in, in Menlo Park or that area. You know, so, so they'll commute two hours. So if there's a, a if there's an 
a tragedy, a fire in your household while you're at work. There's nothing that you can do about it. You're two hours away like I was one hour away. Would you want firefighters with your attitude showing up first do? And I'll have those conversations with people. Wow. Like I know, man, maybe you're maybe you're not in a good place right now. We have these employees assistance program. We have resources that can help you. We'll have those conversations too. But at the end of the day, um, this job is, is as important as any other job. You don't have to be on all the time. You got to be on when the bells ring. You have to be on when the call comes in. And that's something that I learned big time in my life. There are days I had a bad day, but you can't have a bad call here yep. mentally. Yep. yep. You got to be connected to what the goal is. And see, that's another thing. I want you to think about this. See, firefighters, you give a firefighter 15 minutes to accomplish a task, they'll get it done in 10. You give a firefighter six months to accomplish the same task, it gets done in the last 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we didn't set a, a time frame. Meaning uh, we work great when we're under pressure. We work great when, we, when we're working with a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. So if we're not motivated and we're disconnected to the goal, I need to create some kind of an urgency for the goal. Mm-hmm. Even at practice, you know, think about this. Okay, so Washington, and, and yeah, I'm very familiar with your area. You have very great little league teams out there. Think about this. You know that there are really great practice players mm-hmm. that don't perform in the game. Let me explain why. Because practices are slow. Practices are repetitive. Practices are, okay, let's turn two. Runner at first. We're going to hit the ball to shortstop. Boom. Now we hit the ball again. Boom. They know it's coming. You just told them what to do. But in a real game, it's fast. It's unpredictable. Oh, wait, I have to look, and I have to know what the situation is because the coach isn't yelling it all the time. I have to know where I need to go with the ball. I have to expect it's going to get hit to me. I haven't had a ball hit to me all game. It's the sixth inning, so I'm sleeping. All of a sudden, one gets hit to me. Very simple, routine play, pull my bobble. Why? Mm -hmm. Practice is slow. Games are real. So you need to practice real. So part of what you need to do is say, okay, let's go out and let's put the time in, man. Here's the scenario today. Practice with urgency. Practice Mm -hmm. for the speed of the game. And then all of a sudden, and by the way, firefighters, uh, this is what I found anyway. We'll complain about training, but we feel great right after we train. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, it's like, man, that was a great drill. We'll complain about it because it's like, ah, oh, we got to go do this today. Yeah. You know? It happened. It happened. Because well, that I, kitchen table, right, that we're here talking <laughs> about. Yeah. The kitchen table is a great place to sit and hang out, man. I love the kitchen table. I yeah, love I've, it. I've always said if you could bottle the energy around the station when everyone comes back from a run, you know, one of those nasty fires where people got a chance to do all their skills and they get back and they're just that that energy of camaraderie and teamwork and everyone's jumping in. You know, it's crazy when we get a chance to actually do what we train to do. It's so exciting for us. You know, I wish we could bottle that energy. So I love yeah, it. Yeah. One of the things you said, though, is talk is communicating and sitting down and talking. Berlin and I often talk about this on this podcast about the whole idea of Communication for a lot of people, though, is uncomfortable, right? It's it's really uncomfortable to sit down with someone, talk to them about, hey, I need you to perform better. I need us to be better as a team or 
whatever that conversation may be. So talk to us about being uncomfortable a little bit, Chief. Um, yeah, I know you have an opinion, and I know yeah. that Chief Escuso was not be Chief Escuso if he did not have uncomfortable conversations and it, been uncomfortable himself. The, the word itself says it all. It's going to be uncomfortable. Um, leadership is all about becoming uncomfortable. If you're comfortable in your role as a leader, you're probably not going to reach your potential as a leader because you have to be willing to get uncomfortable. You have to be willing to risk an idea that might be laughed at. You might be, and you have to be willing to risk and to propose the the concept of an idea that's going to fail. That's going to cause maybe a little bit of ridicule or, 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 or make people question, does this guy or girl know what they're even doing? You know, you have to be willing to look foolish sometimes because leaders often do early on. Like they think this is going to work and then all of a sudden it works and everybody goes, oh, of course it was going to work because now they know better. Uh, the first time anybody does just about anything, uh, I'm sure somebody looked at them. And, you know, the other day we were actually just not too far from Hoboken and I regret not doing this, but the very first uh, game of baseball ever was played in Hoboken. We just came from Yankee stadium. We went into um, little Italy to grab something to eat. And my wife's like, you want to go to Hoboken instead? I should have, because we could, I could have said, this is where the very first game of baseball ever played. Imagine what that looked like. Wow. Yeah. Like this, like right here, the very first game of baseball probably looked like, what are these idiots doing? Yeah. Like, honestly, what are they hitting that? And why are they running in that direction? And now to Marcus' pastime. So you have to be risk. You have to risk. But see, now there's in the fire service, on a fire scene, fire ground, we inherit risk. Naturally, we inherit it. We can't create more risk there by doing foolish things. The risk has to come earlier. You know, when we talk to people about, hey, we're not training enough. So here's how we're going to go about doing it from this point forward. Uh, you know, we're going to put in three hours a day into training, and here's what we're going to train on, and here's why. And people might be like, well, this doesn't make any sense. What doesn't make sense about it? We're here for 24 hours. We're going to put some time into it. We need to get better at X, Y, and Z. Um, there's, a, there's a way to go about doing that and a way not to go about doing that. And if we just tell and send a memo down saying, uh, everybody watch the rig at 8 o'clock in the morning. All the apparatus, the entire fleet has to get washed at eight o'clock in the morning. People are like, what's this about? Mm -hmm. Well, that person that's sending that memo down might want to say why. This is why we're doing it. And by the way, something like that usually happens because somebody's not washing the rig. Mm -hmm. And now everybody has to do it at eight o'clock in the morning because one group, one station, maybe one officer wasn't making sure it got done. Because every policy has one person's name on it. So in a leadership position, when I say you have to risk being uncomfortable, you have to risk being ridiculed, you have to risk being uh, doing something that's unpopular, I don't mean be a jerk, you know, because you can actually, some people that, that I know in leadership positions, uh, I, you know, they'll send out busy work just to give people busy work instead of meaningful work with a reason behind it. So don't misinterpret the message I'm saying. By saying, hey, people, if people aren't going, they're not going to like you, and that's okay. If your whole department doesn't like you, think about it this way. There's going to be, there's going to be a, a party when you retire. Don't you want to be invited to it? Yeah. Wow. You know, it's your retirement party. Don't yeah. you want to be invited to it? So don't misinterpret the message to say, yes, 
I'm going to make people dislike me in a leadership position, but that's what has to happen. Some people are going to dislike you. You need to know that's going to happen, mm-hmm. but that don't, don't just do things because, you know, I'm, I'm going to be stubborn, have conversations with people, mm. humble yourself to, to know that you might not always be right in the idea of what you want to accomplish. Maybe the end goal is the right end goal, but it's okay to sit down with your team and say, all right, here's the deal. Here's where we want to go. Who's got an idea how we can get there? Not only is it all right, I highly encourage it. Lee Cockrell, the former vice president of Walt Disney World Resorts, mm-hmm. on page five of Create Magic, wrote this. What really drives the magic at Disney is the extraordinary service. How does Disney maintain that high quality of service? Each of the 59,000 cast members is trained to treat each and every guest with the utmost care and respect. And they do this consistently because they are treated exactly the same way by Disney leadership with the utmost care and respect. What Lee Cockrell says in that one paragraph is if we want people to provide a great experience for all the people that come to Disney, we need to make this a place where people want to work. And how do we do that? By saying, hey, here's the standard that we're trying, that we're going to reach. This is the standard. But since you're the people that have to make it happen, how do you think we can make this standard happen? What ideas can you bring to the table? Because we want your input. You're the one doing the work. You know who else did this? Michael Abrashoff. If you read the book, It's Your Ship. He took what's the worst ship in the Navy by, by naval standards, turned it into arguably the best ship in the Navy. How? He knew all the areas they needed to get good in that they weren't good in. And he would ask the people that needed to perform in those areas, what do you need from me? And then he would get what they need so they can implement because they're the ones doing the work. So it wasn't all about a dictatorship saying, here, we need to do this and, and we're doing it this way and and show up, shut up and just go get it done. No, we need to do this. Uh, here's my ideas, but I want to hear yours. And, uh, and by the way, now when there's a disagreement between you and somebody else and and we're talking about leadership here when there's just it's okay at some point to say you don't have to be rude when you say it but it's okay to say look i'm not asking anymore if you agree with me i'm just asking if you understand me because this is what we're doing and here's why we're doing it and if we're wrong we'll adapt and we'll adjust but we have to put a game plan together you know when i was going through and i'm, I'm using this just as an example love it we play a team, a two-time state champion team that that every kid in our lineup bunts. They all bunt. And they bunt in weird situations. A runner on second with one out. Uh, man, they just want to get that runner to third. They'll bunt. They'll take the sacrifice. But they always do it a certain way. And so we came up, and I, specifically, I mean, I'm researching all these different ways to do bunt coverage. And I said, this is the best way to do it for this particular team. So we go to practice and I'm talking to the kids about in this situation right here, here's how we're going to do bunt coverage. And I had one of the coaches disagree with me. No, 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 no. That's not the right way to do it. I said, well, the way that the right way to do it works on a 60-90 field, we're playing on a 46-60 field. It's a smaller field. If we do it that way, the coverage isn't going to be the same. He goes, but we're not teaching them the right way. I said, no, we're not teaching them the right way when they get to the bigger field, but we're teaching them the right way to beat this team. So this is the way we're going to do it. He's like, all right, mm-hmm. all right. You mm-hmm. know, so like we disagree with each other and I totally get where he's coming from. Yeah. 
But at the end of the day, somebody has to make a decision. Mm -hmm. This happens in the fire service all the time when we're buying new equipment, uh, when we're writing a new policy, a new SOP, when we uh, are talking about tactics, when we're talking about pack and hose. All, there's disagreements all the time. And at some point, somebody has to say, well, here's the way we're doing it. Not to be disrespectful in their approach to telling people, hey, shut up. This is it. Because I've heard people do it that way before. I'm like, well, that's how you lose people. You know, I, I want to hear your opinion. And if and we'll have the hard conversation that we talked about earlier. Courageous communication is a powerful leadership trait. Being willing to have the hard conversations that are often necessary to lead and the only way to lead during difficult times. And in today's society, we have a lot of conflict. And why do we have a lot of conflict? Primarily, watch the news. It's not even news anymore. If it's yeah. the news, they would be giving you the facts. No, because when they're giving you the news, they're talking to you like this because they want you to get emotionally charged because they want you to hate or fear the opposing point of view. CNN does it, Fox does it, MSNBC. I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent. They all do it. They want you to hate and fear the opposing point of view. Their whole narratives are spun that way. And if the talking heads on TV don't do the narrative that their mm -hmm. bosses want them to do, they get fired. And that's why yeah. every now and then you see one leave out of frustration because they wanted to say something that was on their mind and they weren't allowed to say it because it didn't fit the narrative that they feel is no longer truthful. So our kids right now are being trained to hate or fear the opposing point of view. And they're trained to, to say, uh, to not try to have an intelligent conversation with you about, well, let me explain why. Uh, what, they're, what they're trained to do is to try to discredit the person that they have the disagreement with, because that's what politicians are doing. That's what the media is doing. Yeah. It's what they see all the time, right? So we have to be better than that as firefighters. Yeah. We have to be people that says, no, I, I hear you. I respect yeah. you. Well, you've unpacked a lot there. I mean, what I heard, obviously, conversation is necessary. Uh, must do it. Disagreements are okay. You know, they're going to happen. Uh, I'm going to quote you twice right here because uh, I resonate with these. Uh, plus, it's relevant to everything you just said. You said the biggest room in the fire station is the room for improvement. It's, it's awesome. And the second one, because I just heard it. The majority of problems relate to poor people skills, not poor fire ground skills. So we were just spent 10 minutes talking about conversations and needing to yeah. have them. And they, in the fire service, and we've talked about this in the podcast as well, is we train very well with pulling hose, taking hydrants, throwing ladders, throwing packs. We don't spend a lot of time teaching people skills, especially to company officers and emerging leaders. I guess I have a two-part question that's rhetorical, but not rhetorical because I would like an answer <laughs> to the best that you can. We don't train in those avenues of people's skills. Why not? And how do we get there since we know it's necessary? Well, I love that you just brought that up is, you know, about the, the biggest room in a fire service is the room for improvement. Uh, that's true. When it comes to people skills, um, you need strategy and tactics to put out fires. You need strategy and tactics to put out people fires too. It's not one size fits all cookie cutter. Here's what we're doing here. So I'm going to deal with it. Um, everybody's different. People are motivated different ways. 
I I watched a lot of leaderships uh, or people in leadership positions in all different industries. Any chance that I got, um, I remember one time when I was younger, I was uh, I was getting my car washed, and a guy runs a very successful um, car wash, a little franchise. He's got a few of them. I don't even want to say what town it is because. Uh, successful. He does all the police and fire vehicles for free. So they can just pull in. He gives them a free wash, you know, trying to do something nice for the community. Um, really successful. And one of his uh, workers didn't, a uh, young kid didn't do something right. I don't remember what it was, but I'm in the waiting room, just waiting to pay for my car. Um, that's going through the car wash. And a kid comes in, he walks into the office, the door is wide open. And the guy that owns it, was so nasty and so disrespectful to him. I wasn't much older. This is years ago. I wasn't much older than a kid. I must maybe I was like 24, 25 years old. And this kid is probably 18. And I'm thinking, how do you talk to another human being that way? Like he was so disrespectful, cursing at him and everything. And and I I don't remember what the kid did. I just remember thinking what he did isn't that bad. To be talked to like that. And I remember that kid walking out. And I remember thinking, as young as I was, one day I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to be a father. And I got to try to protect my kids from people like that. You're like, I would never want anybody to talk. And, and then I thought, as I got older, I'm like, well, no, now I don't. I'm not, I don't need to protect my kids from that. I just need to let them know that exists. And here's here's one key to that, by the way. People will treat you exactly how you allow them to treat you. So in a situation like that, that kid would have been much better off saying, uh, you know, I'm sorry that I didn't perform to the level you wanted me to, but I don't deserve to be talked to that way. And that's hard for how's an 18 year old going to do that, right? Yeah, right. It's hard for her. And maybe there's more to the story, but I just remember you don't talk down to people that way. There's such a better way because now when that kid walked out, he was dejected. He was embarrassed because he knew that everybody heard it. I could tell he's like, you know, I can't, I don't want to be here right now. So now what are you going to get from him? You get a kid that makes decisions based off fear. All this decisions now based off fear. If I do this, what's going to happen? That's a dangerous place for people, especially in our industry to be. If somebody's afraid to make a decision because their their uh, supervisor is going to come down on them if they make the wrong decision, they tend to not make any decision. Yep. Because it's like you know what, you know, I, I don't want to deal with it. And then and now now everybody's saying, oh, this guy can't make any decisions, and they don't know why he's not making decisions. You have to be good at understanding what motivates people we talked about a little bit earlier people want to know they belong time money security recognition belong to a team make a difference these things are important so now how do i deal with it if i have to criticize them you can criticize the act without criticizing the person mm -hmm. you can criticize what they do without diminishing them people don't mind being criticized nobody wants to be minimized so it's okay to pull someone in the office and say hey you know what i'm you know i'm proud of how hard you've been working you know, great attitude, great effort. I appreciate that. I just want to talk about something that just happened today that I've seen a couple times and, you know, about your attitude or whatever it may be, the issue and action and activity and attitude. Um, and then talk to them about why this is not beneficial for them or for the team. Mm -hmm. And then after that, 
you know, I want you to, to I want you to keep coming to work with a smile on your face. I want you to keep giving me your best effort. Know that I support you. Know that I have your back. At the end of the day, we're raising the bar. Mm-hmm. We talked about earlier. We're raising our standard constantly here. We're going to be the best fire department in this county. And you're a big part of that. So I need you on board with me. I need you on board with, you know, you can criticize the act without making an enemy. And and some people don't care to do that because why I, 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 there's a lot of people out there that make their decisions based off fear or greed or ego. And so what are they trying to do? Well, they're trying to put you in your place. So I have a conversation on my podcast one time. I had uh, Thomas Felty, who's now a general in the army. He was a colonel. And I like to say him and I were on the battlefield many, many times together playing youth football, you know, because yeah. we played youth football together. And here he is. He's now a general in the army. And one day I asked him, I said, hey, do you ever in the army? He was in charge of our infantry uh, when he was a colonel at Fort Benning, Georgia. So he was in charge of the infantry program. I said, do you micromanage? You know, as as a leader in the army, do you micromanage? And I'm thinking, of course we do. Of course we micromanage because they, you know, there's a standard you have to reach. This is what I'm expecting. And he says to me, "No, never." I said, "Really?" He says, "Never." I said, "Why not?" He said, "Do you know what I do?" I said, "Yeah, you're in charge of our infantry." He says, "But do you know what I do?" So I'm thinking, clearly, I don't. I said, "No." He goes, uh, I'm going to I'm going to say this simply. I train young men and women to kill or be killed. So how effective would I be at training them for life or death decision making if I have to make every decision for them? I don't micromanage the process. He says, Frank, when's the last time you put out a fire? I said, we had a great stop a couple of weeks ago. He says, but when's the last time you put out a fire? I said, I'm thinking he doesn't now understand my terminology. I said, well, we knocked one down a couple of weeks ago pretty quickly. Could have been way worse. He goes, but where were you? I said, I was at the command post. He goes, exactly. You didn't put the fire out. He said, the firefighter with the hose line put the fire out. You exist to serve that person because if that person is successful, you're successful. If that person fails, you fail. And the quicker you understand that, the quicker you're going to become a more effective leader. You exist to serve them. This doesn't mean that you let them run wild and do whatever they want to do. No, you hold them accountable. And I like to say it this way. Give people the time, the training, the tools, the equipment, the guidance, the support, and the environment to succeed in. But hold them accountable into a high standard. And if and same way we would our own children. But if we do those things, we're creating our culture by design. And that's how we succeed. Amazing. And I'm going to lean on that just a little bit further. Uh, you just mentioned, uh, we talked about conversations. We talked about being uncomfortable. We talked about people skills. You had mentioned as part of a kind of, kind of a controversial topic. You said when firefighters aren't fighting a fire, they're fighting each other, either on social media or other. Yep. You unpack that a little bit. Uh, it's my pet peeve, man. I don't even like saying the word pet peeve. I think that's just a silly term, but it's the thing that frustrates me the most in the fire service is uh, everybody's so cool. Everybody's trying to build a brand. Uh, Everybody's trying to, and when I say everybody, uh, that's wrong. A certain amount of people are out there Uh, criticizing our brothers and sisters on social media as if everybody's an expert at fighting the fires that they weren't at. 
And some people are just trying to make themselves look so cool. And I just want to say, you're not. I'm not. None of us are. We're in this thing together. I believe the fire service has set the bar for society when it comes to respect from the public. We, you know, people, I mean, the terms like brotherhood are connected to the fire service, honor, duty. These are connected to us just like they are the military. And then here we are going on social media, talking about what a jerk this person is or that person is, uh, instead of saying that's not the place for it. Social media has exposed a lot of people. I see messages people put out there. There are people in this industry that I don't like solely because of their Twitter or Facebook accounts. Because I see what they're really about. And I don't like saying I don't like anybody. But I'm just like, man, you slow that down a little bit. Back it up a little bit. Because what you, when, you're, when you're constantly trying to diminish somebody else, it's like you're trying to step on them to raise yourself. Why? Well, instead of you see somebody doing something wrong and looking like idiots at a fire, you don't know the situation. You know, maybe they don't have any volunteers coming to their, their department anymore. And so whoever shows up is whoever they can get. And maybe they look like they've never done it before. Maybe they haven't ever done it before. Maybe they don't have anybody that has trained them. And maybe they did not learn a principle of no one trained me, so I'll go train yourself. And maybe they, they live somewhere where there are no speakers that come out and provide classes. And they've not really been exposed to the yeah we all know that there's books out there we all know that there's podcasts out there but i mean i've been to places all across america i have been to places where there is no cell service at all i've been to places where you know the a department will tell me i'll get off an airplane and we will drive two and a half hours to get to where we're going and we're passing through miles and miles and miles of nothing and they're saying our district starts here i'm like really here how like are you are we close to the firehouse? No, we're still an hour and 10 minutes away. What? Your district starts here? Yeah. So we're technically first due at a vehicle accident on this highway. What? I've been all over the country, Canada, where I've seen this several times. Somebody just invited me out to come out. I have to take three planes to get to the closest airport and then drive over an hour and a half to get to where they want me to go. I'm like, I think I might pass on that one, you know, <laughs> but so in other words, they don't have the access to everything we do the way we have it. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean they, I'm not giving an excuse for them at all. But what I am saying is don't go on social media and talk about what idiots these people are. Mm -hmm. You can show that to your own coworkers and sit down and say, hey, look at what idiots these people are. Because it's right here. We're just in a room together. We don't do things this way and here's why. But they might not have what you have. I, I'm not making an excuse at all for people that don't perform. But you don't know what happened at that incident. We had an incident one time where we had frozen hydrants and we couldn't get water. And when we finally did get water, we had to keep the water going and flowing. And sometimes it's flowing outside because we have an electrical panel that's on fire inside the building. And we're waiting for them to shut the electric off before we can even go in and fight the fire. And people don't know. They see, well, why, why is this happening? Why are they doing it this way? You don't know anything about what's happening at that particular incident. You weren't there.
mm-hmm. stay off social media. And 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 I'm going to an extreme there, meaning it's easy to see a video of someone doing the wrong thing and say, uh, you know, look at these guys. I can't believe I'm watching another video of, of people looking at blah, 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 and throwing out. It's easy to do that. I stay away from it. But some people just randomly throw out the whole um, bashing a different methodology that other departments use. I've given the example a couple times of the whole transitional attack. You know, some people come on and, and they're talking about, hey, anybody that teaches or does a transitional attack, and they basically paint them like they're cowards because they're not going in the building. They're putting water on the building from outside the fire. And I'm saying, well, hold on, back up. I was taught a transitional attack in the academy 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. They called it a blitz attack. Mm-hmm. It's nothing new. Right. It's I can't get in the building for one reason or another. I don't have the resources. It's too fully involved. I can't get in there. So you need to actually put knock the fire down before you can access the building. And it's a tactic that's been older and and has been existing in the fire service long before most of the firefighters that are in the fire service are, are here today criticizing it. It's a tool. And there's a place for it. And I'm not saying that's the the thing to do, but when you sit here and paint guys that have seen more fire than you could possibly imagine that are talking about it being a tactic and you're criticizing them as being cowards, that's wrong. It's just wrong. It's a tactic. It's yeah. a tool. And it may be a tool you never use. We've probably done a blitz attack on fires I've been at twice in a 27-year career. Twice. So... Uh, it's not something we use very often, but it was something that has been used over and yeah. over and over through, and it's used in other countries quite mm-hmm. often. Yeah, you mentioned, uh, and we've talked about this, I think, in, in many of our episodes. We talk about perspective and yeah. seeking perspective. We mentioned Stephen Covey earlier, and then you know one of his other sayings uh, is seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Right? I mean, yeah. we don't know, you know, other people's situations, but yet we are so quick to criticize and judge other people when we don't know the story. And I think that goes to, again, being intentional. Boom, Bill, there's intentional number one. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, I think that's huge. And it's, yeah, seek another opinion uh, before being first to jump on somebody else. I'm going to, out of respect for time, I'm going to jump to my favorite part of the episode. And these are action items. I think everything you talked about today, Chief, was is an action item, is a, is a message and is a calling, but here's some specifics. We asked to talk about three groups, talk to three groups, give an action item for these individuals to start doing literally right after this uh, podcast episode ends. These people say, you know what, Frank Viscusa said this, I'm going to start doing it. So for the, for the first group is talk to a newer employee. This could be a recruit firefighter, probationary firefighter, someone newer in their career. What's something that they can do today, right now to start growing as leaders? Well, there's no shortage of information out there. We talked about that right now. So you want to start growing as a leader? Uh, Two things. Number one, seek more information. Podcasting is such a great way to do it because we're driving, you know, constantly all the time. You're working out, you're taking a walk, you're doing stuff. And it's great just to throw on the headphones and listen to this and educate yourself that way. Of course, books on audio as well. Reading in general. Educate yourself. That's number one. Pick up the phone and call somebody. Um, connect with somebody in a fire service. That is where you want to be and and pick their brain and, and talk to them about how did you do this? And, and uh, 
But when it be, when we're talking about leadership and action steps, I was one time asked if I had any type of um, exercises at my classes that I can uh, do to help people develop their leadership skill. And I thought, yeah, that'd be a great idea. Let me bring some exercises into this. And so, you know, I'm researching good exercises. I came up with a couple things, but I thought, hey, this whole thing about, hey, you're stranded on an island with three people, sit down and guess on this list what six items you're going to take with you. You know, that stuff doesn't really... Um, it's critical thinking. It's good. You're having a conversation with people. That's the best part of it. But at the end of the day, does it make you a better leader? I don't see how. So I'm like, so what can I, and then I thought, wait a minute, this is so silly. I'm not going to teach you how to be a leader in a class, but I can teach you what to do to be a leader when you leave the class. Mm-hmm. And this is what it is. It's a simple four-step process. One, identify a problem. Now they exist everywhere. It's just your firehouse is out of order. Uh, some of the stuff from inventory is missing. Um, it could be anything, but identify a problem. Number one, our policies are outdated. Okay. So we have two, we have, we have two SOPs that were based on a staffing level and an apparatus we don't even have anymore. Okay. So you already know the problems exist everywhere. So number one, identify a problem Two, assemble a group of people. Now, we already work with a group of people. That's the easy part for firefighters. We already exist. The people are already there. So you don't have to go out and recruit people. They're there. Three, develop a solution together. Sit down and talk about the problem. Talk about what we need to do to solve the problem. And then implement the best idea because step four is solve the problem. And that's it. It's a four-step process. Now, if there was a fifth step, guess what it would be? Repeat. Yeah. Identify a problem, assemble a group of people, develop a solution together, go solve the problem. Four steps. And that's how you develop your ability to lead. Love it. <laughs> so I guess I don't even need to move forward because uh, you've answered all the above, but I'll ask it anyway for the sake of asking it. So I'm a newer company officer. I'm a newer training officer, but talk to emerging leaders, uh, new officers, aspiring officers, training officers, someone newer in that, you know, officer role, if you will, if different, maybe add an additional tip, if you will, but an action item for those groups to start growing as leaders. Well, you know, a lot of it's the same stuff, you know, continue to educate yourself, but get connected to what your goal is. Get connected to it because it's easy to get unfocused. It's easy to, it's easy to get selfish in a selfish world. It's very easy to get selfish. I'm going to say that again. It's easy to get selfish in a selfish world. So don't allow that to happen because most of what we're getting, uh, I mean, think everybody's trying to sell you something mm-hmm. constantly. I'm guilty of it. I have products. I have books. I have seminars. You know, I post content, you know, uh, even today as I'm talking to you right now, no joke. I just received an email. My emails open up and somebody just reached out. They want to place an order for 60 copies of Flashpoint. Uh, for the fire department. I'm like, hey, that's cool. You know, I'll reach out to them, get them a good deal. For me, it's never been about the profit. It's been more about the message. Sometimes people can get distracted and say, well, what about me? Yes. What about me is very important. When you are trying to achieve success, you need to put yourself somewhere in that equation, but you are trying to achieve success in an industry where we serve others. So if you ever forget that aspect of it, you need to get reconnected to why you became a firefighter in the first place. 
Why'd you want to be an officer? I hear a bunch of reasons for that. And some of the reasons are, hey, man, it's going to be, I'll, I'll have a better pension. Good. Time, money, security. You wanted money and security. Good. That's great. That's my, but you're in a service-based industry. Mm-hmm. Now that you're an officer, congratulations. I'm happy for you. That's fantastic. But what can you do to make our organization better? Absolutely. Because it's not about what you're taking home for you. It's about what you're bringing into the homes of the people who call you. Oh, absolutely. I'm going to uh, skip the third one and uh, and uh, introduce a different one because I know you're I hope to have a, a, you in a future episode because I see it now. I'm talking about mentorship and building teams because I know you write the, you wrote the book uh, "Step Up Your Teamwork." But how about I substitute the senior established leader for a tip for individuals for building strong teams? How can we do that? This is what my my book Flashpoint was all about about building strong teams, and um, here here's. Here's the idea behind it. Uh, I can't just give you one tip. I'm, I'm going to give you all eight of what the tips are right now. There you go. And it's real simple. Number one is set your expectations up front. And we just talked about that. If you set your expectations up front, uh, what you did is you, you now said, that here's where we want to end up. And you're having that conversation with people. Number two, prepare for victory. Now we know where we want to go. Now we have to go out and train and prepare and put the work in to become good at that. So we are capable of performing at the level we talked about we want to perform at. Three is take action. When it's time to act, you have to act. You can't. So many people just sit and wait for things to be right before they take action. No, take action right now. And we talked about that. You know, there's risk involved, risk proposing an idea that might fail. Absolutely. There's discomfort involved because if you're comfortable, you're not going to reach your potential. But just take action and go. Step four is delegate to develop your team. I'm leading a team. I need people in positions where they can contribute and help us accomplish what we want to accomplish. Uh, Firefighters, um, some organizations, you can work in the same station for 15 years with the same four firefighters. Most organizations, that's not going to happen. You may have one person that's there for 15 years. But the officer is going to change once or twice during that time frame. The new firefighter is going to change once or twice during that time frame. And maybe it's one or two stay the same in a 15-year time frame. Maybe only one. Maybe all four are different. We're constantly moving. So it's like, hey, somebody new comes on board, and guess what? We need to teach you how to do X, Y, and Z so we can accomplish the tasks that we need to accomplish. So it's constantly delegating to develop your team members to do the job at hand. Uh, step five would be have the guts to persist because you are going to encounter adversity. You're going to uh, get yourself in a position where, hey, this is harder than I thought. That's right. Focus on why you're here again. Because you, when you focus on the prize, it's easy to get over the struggle. The next one would be adapt when necessary. If what you're doing isn't working, let's adapt. Let's adjust. And let's focus on where we want to go from here. The seventh step is serve all and serve well. And that means serve your community, and it should be community first. Serve your organization. Serve the people that work under your command. Because we talked about all of this in today's show. So I guess it's all coming full circle. 
Mm-hmm. And then the last step would be reward your team. Because people, if they're going to work hard, I want them to know that I appreciate them and I value them. I see what they bring to the table. And I acknowledge their value. But when I say reward your team, here's another thing. Are, uh, you know, we didn't get, we didn't get to, uh, to talk too much about e- each other. Like I didn't get to know about you guys. As you know, I'm married. I have kids. Are either one of you married? Yes. Married two kids, two daughters, young daughters. Okay. Married, married three adult boys. Okay. So here you go. Um, reward your family. That's part of your team. Reward them too. We do things as a family. That's why I bring them to the Yankee game. You know, it's it is expensive. I'm not kidding because I'm not going to get the, the 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 bleacher seats. I want my kids to have a really really good close experience. They caught two baseballs in the last game from the first baseman coming into the dugout. Just threw it right up to him. You know, we're five rows back. I told him exactly where to stand. I said, listen, here's where our seats are, but here's where you want to stand to catch the baseballs. They didn't do it for the first three innings. I said, let me explain why. They're not going to throw a baseball into the middle of the stands because they risk hitting someone. They're going to throw it right to the edge. So stand over that edge, stand right at that rail, put your glove out, and put both your gloves out together. They see two gloves. They know there's a chance one of you are going to catch it. Do it. I'm not kidding you. The very next inning, they caught the ball. The inning after that, they caught the ball. And I got some guy yelling, oh, these kids, they already got a ball. And I said, you want a ball? They're good at it. They'll get one for your son, too. I said, get one for this kid, too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm not even joking with you, yeah, but that's but I want them to have these experiences. And um, so I reward them because they sacrifice. When dad writes a book, they sacrifice. When dad goes to the firehouse and takes that overtime and yeah. can't make the game, dad doesn't want to miss the game. But dad wants the overtime to provide you with a better life, to be able to put you through college, you know. But let me reward you and let's go out and and, and – and I'll take you to the movies. We'll do this. We'll do that. Spend time rewarding the people around you on your team at work and on your team at home. Oh, I love that. I mean, talking about sometimes we just need to be reminded, right? You said reward the family. I was over the weekend. We uh, we did an episode last week, and I'm it's the weekend, right? Weekend's supposed to be about relaxation and you know kicking back. I'm sitting there doing the edits and publishing the podcast. My wife said, "What are you doing?" And you just you can take the day off, and it's it, that reminder of that's my team you know, reward them because of the support they give you. So thank you for that. I mean, I resonate with all this stuff today. Thank you so much, Chief. No, you're um, welcome. Leadership challenge. I lie in this episode a lot because every time I go to the next piece, I say this is my favorite piece. So I apologize <laughs> to the listeners because I've lied like six times. So here's another lie. Uh, this is my favorite part of the episode, the leadership challenge. So Chief, we end the episode with the leadership challenge. Um, we mentioned earlier the success of this podcast. It goes to the uh, guest speakers that are willing to share a philosophy, a message, and a story, which you've done for us today. Is there somebody out there that you'd like to officially call out or challenge? Someone that you feel would uh, deliver a great message and would be built, willing to share uh, their leadership philosophy here on the kitchen table? Oh, there's a ton of people. You already had Castro on there. He we would did. probably would have been my first. Um, I'm going to talk about. Uh, uh, several people that I could mention. Uh, I could go down a list from from you know Mike Dugan to Jim Silvernail to um, PJ Norwood, uh, Duffy, Ray McCormick, um, Kurt Isaacson. Maybe some of these guys you had on there. These are all great guys. Uh, two guys in particular, I would say uh, definitely call them together or individually. Dan Shaw and Doug Mitchell. Um, fantastic. All of these guys. 
awesome are, are absolutely fantastic uh leaders of course you got rick lasky you got john salka um uh, J- uh jason hovelman you know from also out and him and jim silver now are out in the st louis area both of them are fantastic and um the day that i went to yogi Berra's uh house where he grew up with jim silver now was the one that took me there you know that's how i knew about uh yogi and joe graziolo and and uh you know where he grew up these guys are all uh what i love about them is is uh first of all every time i go down to fdic the majority of people i just mentioned um we get together we have dinner uh usually at saint elmo steakhouse but we have dinner together and we hang out and we just talk um about families we talk about uh i don't even think we talk much about the fire service at all anymore we used to when we first got together and now it's like, how's your family, what's your daughter doing? How's, you know, she like in college and all that kind of stuff. But there's some of the most genuine people I've ever met that have some of the most unbelievable passion for the fire service and no ego attached to the majority of these individuals. Sometimes on the surface, sometimes you'll be like, Oh man, this guy, you know, there's an ego attached when you get to know them. No, it's a drive. It's a passion. And some of them get so take Kurt Isaacson for an example, one of the most passionate people I've ever met, you know, to a point where um, when he talks, you get sucked in to even if you disagree with something he's saying, you're like, man, how can I not buy into this? This guy's like, he's just like, he's the type of guy that some people and I like to think that this is my way. If 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 you played on my team, I'd want to be the guy that put my arm around you and said, hey, I believe in you and let's go. And here's the direction we're going in and we're going to go there together. And I think Kurt Isaacson is the kind of guy that will put his hand on your back and then push you because he knows what you're capable of. And he's going to push you right into the fire so you can get the job done. And it'll be a whole different way of getting you there. But we'll both get you there. It's amazing. Wow. Well, thank you, Chief. And uh you talk a lot faster than I can write. If uh, if you don't mind, I'll send you an email and maybe gather a few of these uh, contact information. Um, no, listen. Yeah, no, these guys are great. But I just recently got, I was texting earlier with uh, two friends, um, Paul Combs. Oh, I know. Who, yep. Mm-hmm. Paul Combs, definitely bring Paul on. He's Paul Combs, yeah. Paul's just, he's another brother, true brother. And, uh, and uh, just yesterday, actually, I was texting with uh, Doug Mitchell. And Doug Mitchell... Uh, is he he works just outside of Yankee Stadium, as a matter of fact, at the fire station uh, just down the block from there. So um, uh, you reach out to these two guys, tell them I, I could send you their numbers if you don't have them, but they're all, everybody that I just mentioned is easily accessible on social media. And the one thing I'm going to regret as soon as I get off this call is not naming about 10 other names. Ah. That are already <laughs> popping into my head, and I feel like if I start, it's going to be Pandora's box. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Chief, because it's never uh, it's never the end. Um, if you don't mind, I, I I can and still will bother you through email and um, gather as you know a contact here or there for anyone you uh, would be willing to share. We'll reach out to all. Like I'm not a betting man anymore. We joke about this uh, on this podcast, Bill and I. I, I used to you know, place a lot of bets. I don't anymore, but my bet is if we can't get one better odds, if we get 10 names, I can get at least one of them. So, you know, I'll play. You'll get it. If you call these guys, you'll get every one yeah. of them. Awesome. Thank you. Promise chief. You. We could go on for hours talking leadership with the chief. And uh, I would love to, but I would do want to be respectful of your time. Of course. My question is what's next for uh, deputy chief Frank Viscuso. How do we find you? 
Uh, are you planning to come up to the Pacific Northwest soon again? I hope. What's your next book? What's next for Chief Escuso? Uh, it, it, it's exactly everything you just said uh, out there speaking. Um, you know, I'm, I'm locked up for the rest of this year. Uh, oh. I do take some time off in the summer because this is my son's 12-year-old all-star season. And they will either end this season at Cooperstown or Williamsport, one or the other. Um, you know, so, and being a coach tonight, three baseball games I'm coaching, three tonight alone. Wow. For three different teams. Wow. Actually, no, forgive me. I'm coaching two, but my sons are between them, are playing on three. Um, but I my schedule is it's it's not something that I really determine myself. It's where when the requests come in. If there's an organization out by you that says, hey, we'd like to bring him in to speak to our officers and they reach out to me, 100 percent of the time they'll hear back from me within 24 hours or less, sometimes within two hours. Mm-hmm. And um and we'll see if we can make it happen. And as far as books go, you know, I'm working on, you know, I just came out with Flashpoint, mm-hmm. which is the eight steps we just talked about to building a successful team. But Flashpoint was a very interesting book because I've been following these eight principles for years. And I thought, do I want to write this as a leadership book or as a novel, a story? And if you read the first, the introduction to the book, I talk about where the where I kind of basically conceived the idea to write the book. And so now I think I'm going to, now that it's written as a leadership book in a traditional style, like Step Up and Lead and the other leadership books you may have read, I'm now uh, going to take that story and make it, you know, I have fictional characters to bring you through the journey of how this could be applied. And I'm excited about it because it's 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 more creative writing. It's something that I enjoy doing. You said you read The Mentor. Thank you for that. It's written with the same style as The Mentor. And for people that don't know, The Mentor was not related to the fire service. The Mentor is a is a really a business-related book. It's, re- it's related to, you know, a, a young man. And, and that story, by the way, was a lot of that was my story. Hmm. My father, who's still with us, unlike the father of the character in the book but my father grew up with a man named ray katina and ray was uh he dropped out of school when he was very young um, for personal reasons but became one of the most successful residents of all of new jersey uh, a very successful car dealer and one day my my father i was talking to him about how did he become so successful and my father said well why don't you call him and ask so I picked up the phone and I said to him, I said, I I just want to talk to you about how you became successful. And he says, well, what are you doing this Thursday? I said, nothing. Uh, I'm not working. He said, why don't you come by the dealership? So I went by the dealership and I sat down with him for over an hour. And he sat down and he talked. And nothing. he didn't say, here's the actions you want to take. He talked to me more about mindset. And he talked to me more about um, how... You know, you need a successful team around you if you're going to become successful. And he talked about goal setting. And some of the things he said there, I left and I said, I need to start implementing some of this stuff. I'm not doing any of it. And a lot of that helped lead me to some of the success I have right now. And so when I wrote that book, it was a lot of it was real life stuff written with fictional characters and that's what this next book is going to be too sorry to take so long to explain it by the way i I love it thank you so much so 
I, and I'll go ahead and say it myself for those listeners out there, step up and lead and step up your teamwork. Phenomenal books, the mentor as well. Uh, we actually had um, our, our uh, my retired fire chief on the podcast a week or so ago, and he talked about, you know, leadership need not only be, you know, in things in the fire service, you know, and so the mentor, you know, being examples and stuff that's talks about stuff that's not necessarily in the fire service to make you a well-rounded leader and human being. So I love that piece and I love that addition. So thank you. I will point out as well, you mentioned the book Flashpoint, uh, but I will say to the listeners, Flashpoint, The Fire Inside is also a podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Flashpoint, The Fire Inside is my podcast. Um, and you could go to um, uh, fireopsonline.com. And that will give you a link to the podcast episodes. And we have people that have just achieved uh, some, for the most part, I try to bring in people that have achieved the highest level of success in their industry, uh, like Olympic gold medalists and Navy SEALs. And um, of course, people in the fire service as well. And they just talk about, uh, you know, uh, not, I mean, New York Times bestselling, number one bestselling authors that have come on and talk about the journey to get from where they were to where they are. And um, I have another website, which is just my name, frankviscuso.com. And that web- website gives you information about my speaking and my books. And if anybody wants to contact me, that's the way to get a hold of me through that. There you go. So, again, I thank you so much, Chief, for your time today. How about this? Lasting leadership thoughts before we close today on the kitchen table. A leader of one can become a leader of many. But if you can't lead one, you'll never lead any. Oh, that's it's about awesome. you leading you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, uh, I had that written down and I wanted to, uh, to talk about it. So thank you so much for leaving us with that bill. No, I just want to really say thank you for coming on. I think that, you know, the fire service and leadership conversation needs to have grounded leaders like you. And I guess, you know, where I, where I'm going with that is, you know, post nine 11, we were heroes and, you know, I still think in a lot of people's eyes we are, but, you know, then we kind of put ourselves in this, into this whole militaristic area. You know, we have people like Jocko, who he's a great, you know, very entertaining host. He's a, he writes very good books. But when you look at things like extreme ownership, you know, it it doesn't parallel correctly with our with our emerging leaders. And I think something that's beneficial having you on here, Chief, is that you're a real grounded leader and you speak to the every firefighters conversation. And it's stuff that's applicable in personal life, in career, and what we do. So thank you for writing, communicating, teaching, leading, doing this stuff, um, you know, that gives significance to our career. So thank I you. Pr- I appreciate that. Thank you so much. You mentioned Jocko. I didn't have him on my podcast. I had JP Denell that works with him on the podcast. But I want to tell you something. Just um, about three months ago, I sat down with Marcus Luttrell and his brother Morgan from Lone Survivor in their house, in Marcus's house. And we sat down and we talked about um, what I wanted to talk about specifically was how SEALs train and prepare for anything. And during our conversation, he said something really interesting. And I heard him say this on on a few interviews since I left. Um, Things were so bad that day of what happened uh, what the book is written about, the movies written about, or, or made about Lone Survivor. He said at one point, and I don't want to get too graphic with it because uh, I don't know who's going to listen to this. But he did say at one point he put down his gun, covered his ears, and, and closed his eyes because he just wanted it to go away. 
as Michael Murphy was calling his name because he was being killed. And when he said that, and again, he didn't just, it wasn't just him saying this to me. I've heard him say it to Anderson Cooper. I've heard him say it to several people on interviews. I thought, now that's a level of humility and honesty that people need to hear. I'm a big fan of Jocko, just like a lot of people are. I like his principles. But I was a bigger fan of Marcus for saying that because I said, that's real. And that's what people need to hear. People need to hear that you can be in a situation where your body and your brain shuts down. And it could be because either you didn't train and prepare for that or the fact that what's happening is that severe to where it exposes you know, something inside of you that you didn't know existed, which could be good or could be bad. And I have been there a couple of times in my life where my brain had shut down and I felt, wait, I'm not prepared for this moment. I thought I was, but I wasn't prepared for the moment because the moment was bigger than me. So one of the things that I teach people, and I'll end with these two thoughts, I teach people this is never let the moment be bigger than you. So you have to create this mindset of, uh, I'm going to be in bad situations in my life, but I'm going to prepare like Sully did to land a plane on the Hudson River. He never trained to land a plane on water, but he trained to remain calm in the face of adversity. So that's number one. And number two, control the controllables, mm -hmm. but don't worry about the things you can't control. Because most of what happens in life that we get stressed out about are things we can't control. And if you sit here and say, well, I don't have control over that. Well, then that's okay. But if I do have control over it, control the controllables. Focus on what I can control and don't get stressed out, worked up, or unfocused by the things that I can't control. And if we can do those two things that we just talked about, it gives us an advantage to, to, to deal with adversity because I think that um, the, the goal is to become competent. And here's something interesting. Danger diminishes with competence. It diminishes. It's not that the danger goes away. It's your ability to handle it is better because you prepared for that. Yeah. So I, I, I think one thing I wanted to point out here, too, is that for those of our listeners who haven't watched it yet, you know, the documentary about the Boyd Street fire in the L.A., you know, that reminds me a lot of what you were talking about with Marcus Luttrell's situation. I mean, when you hear the recounting of some of those guys who survived, you know, that event. And when they talk about the fact that they were convinced, several of them were convinced that that was going to be their last shift and their last call. Um, yeah. And for them to just push through and rely on their training and do all of that and survive that. So thank you for those thoughts. Yeah, I appreciate that. And thank you guys again for giving me this opportunity. I had a lot of fun coming on and sharing. I hope some people take value away from this conversation. Yeah. That I promise you they will, Chief. And I'll, I'll close and then we'll uh, we'll chat for a second after. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in today to the kitchen table. We truly hope that you found this time valuable. We hope that we've inspired you to take action, to lead, and to spread the leadership conversation. Until next time, be safe, be intentional, and stay curious.